previously on Life Before Birth. My name's Rian, and this is my pregnancy journey. But in many ways, it's everyone's. I'm pregnant. It's still very faint as it's um, early, but it's a definite yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> And I've made it out of the first trimester. I can't believe it. Life Before Birth has been made possible with support from Tommy Tippy. Tommy Tippy understands expectant mums are often in the dark about feeding. That's why they're here to give you and your baby as much support in your feeding journey as possible. After all, feeding isn't a one-size-fits-all. Every experience is personal and unique. That's why Tommy Tippy's Made For Me range was made for you. I'm now in the second trimester, which is often called the golden period of pregnancy, because many of the unpleasant aspects of early pregnancy start to disappear. But right now, at 13 weeks pregnant, this isn't yet the case for me. The smell of meat or anything with a slight scent really makes me feel sick. It's also a bit of a learning curve in terms of not being able to carry on exactly as normal. I'm really tired at the moment, and it's so difficult to manage the workload I have. I know I've got to listen to my body and slow down a bit. I'm going to have to accept that being pregnant is my new normal. I'm going to ask Matilda and Martha what they think about pregnancy. Is there anything I can't do now that I'm pregnant? Um, you can't run at all. Can't run. Or you can't jump. Can't jump. Or, or you can't eat certain food. I can't eat certain foods. Ah. Or... You can't go near certain food. Mm. When somebody's eating, like, certain food, you can't really just, like, go near it because you're not allowed to eat, like, um, like some uh, types of food. Okay. And what about picking things up? Um, like, anything that's heavy, you can't pick up because it'll, like, hurt the baby. And anything that's really, really, really big and what's really heavy, no, you can't lift that up. I see. Um, like, you can't lift, like, little girls up um, because you've got a baby in your belly and, like, it can hurt the baby really badly and also it can hurt you. So I'm waiting for this so-called golden period to start... Oh, to start feeling good. I'm desperate. Morning sickness is still kicking the absolute crap out of me. I'm also feeling just really gassy all of the time, which is horrible, and I can't believe I'm actually admitting that. I've got really bad belly ache from eating and then cramps from not eating, and then I've got diarrhea or I've got constipation. It's either one or the other. It's just, I'm, and I feel bloated as well. Basically, my insides are a total mess. And it's just horrible. I feel absolutely horrible. I'm about to go and meet Antonio Sierra, the consultant midwife again. I want to find out more about what's happening to my body physically in these first 20 weeks of pregnancy and what hormones are actually doing to my body. Antonio, how unique are the hormonal changes that come with pregnancy? 
There are a number of hormones that um, will have a very important role uh, during uh, the very early stages of pregnancy. And the way in which they work is very gradual. Uh, you know, when one of the hormones rises, the other ones may be coming down. Hormonal changes are actually really, really important for three main reasons. First of all, hormones help maintain pregnancy, which obviously is what we want. They also help you prepare for when you are giving birth. Um, and also they help mums prepare for after uh, when your little one has been born so for example you know to help you with breastfeeding and all of those things and there are three main hormones that I think that we should be highlighting today the very first one will be the beta HCG this hormone normally rises in the first trimester and then it lows um, thereafter um, estrogen which originally is produced by the um, ovaries, um, but later continued by the placenta itself. And it continues to rise during pregnancy until the very end, when there will be an increased number of um, oxytocin receptors in the uterus. And then finally, progesterone, uh, which is um, once again produced initially by the ovaries, but later continued by the placenta as well. It also continues to rise during your pregnancy. And what progesterones do is they help relax your muscles. Both levels, uh, you know, estrogen and progesterone will be dropping just before birth. And these hormonal changes, which begin in the first trimester, leads to many physiological changes throughout the body. And over the course of nine months, the body changes dramatically. Not all of these physical transformations are easy to see. A lot is happening inside. Antonia, what are some of these physiological changes? So starting, for example, with the respiratory system, there needs to be a delivery or supply of oxygen around your body um, and also any waste products need to be removed from it as well. What tends to happen is that because your um, uterus will be enlarging or growing, that will increase the diaphragmatic pressure which will result in an increase of your diaphragmatic breathing. Uh, this will cause hyperventilation, that's when mums perhaps breathe a bit uh, faster than normal, um, you, you, you know, more, more, more number of breathings per minute um, and an increase in the total lung capacity or tidal volume, we call it. Those are the main respiratory system changes. So huffing and puffing while climbing stairs is normal. What other physiological changes can we expect? When it comes to cardiovascular changes, there will be an increase in cardiac output, basically due to the increase of flow to the placenta. So, you know, there needs to be more blood going to the placenta, onto baby. Uh, and that, what, what happens is it just increases the number of uh, volume in your body. This is the result of an increase um, in heart rate as well and the stroke volume. And what tends to happen is that there is a decrease in the resistance in the vessels, which will be increasing cardiac output itself. So your blood pressure tends to go down throughout your pregnancy. Hence the reason why we worry so much when the blood pressure is going up and above normal levels. I'm 13 weeks pregnant now, and I've already noticed I'm more swollen, especially in my face. So the next changes will be hematological changes. So these are the result of an increase in the plasma volume. So basically the amount of water in your body uh, that will be increasing by 40%, which is quite a lot for your body to take on board. Something else that happens is that there is an increase in red blood cells by around 25%. So what happens is that these two changes lead to anemia, which is why it's not uncommon for moms who are pregnant to, you know, for their iron levels to go down and for them to to need iron tablets throughout your pregnancy or at some point during your pregnancy. And this is basically because there is more plasma volume circulating as compared to the 
total number of red blood cells. There is also an increase in the clotting factors, which can lead to some problems, but more often than not, you know, this is a rarity. Your body knows what to do and it will be self-adapting to prevent those problems from happening. But this is why some moms are at an increased risk of developing deep venous thrombosis or DVT, and there are increased requirements for iron overall. It's unbelievably hot outside too. I'm wondering, can this contribute to further swelling? Absolutely. So the summer doesn't help pregnant mums either. They tend to have a tougher pregnancy when it's summertime. And once again, it's just all down to those fluids, you know, exiting the uh, veins and then going on to other spaces that will... uh, obviously resulting edema. It is a lot for our body to take on board. No wonder why mums go um, to the toilet so often at the very end of their pregnancy, they just need to get rid of any extra fluids. But something that mums should be doing uh, is drinking plenty of water to make sure that we self-regulate that amount of fluids that we have in our body and so that we can make um, our kidneys work and function normally. Something worth mentioning is that obviously after baby's born, that demand is not longer there so mums tend to get rid of the fluids um, by different means mostly urinating going to the toilet um, and also some of the water is lost by perspiration as well edema is not uncommon it's good to know that a heat wave may be a contributing factor to why i feel so swollen and at 13 weeks pregnant too but it's not just the swelling one of the most obvious changes in pregnancy is the alteration of the pregnant woman's body musculoskeletal changes These changes are usually the result of the growing uterus and fetus um, as the uterus enlarges. What tends to happen is that this uh, causes changes in the abdominal cavity, which contribute to a number of things. One of them will be an increase in weight from mums and therefore their BMI. Anything up to 14 kilos will be normal. Uh, This very much depends on who you are as an individual. And although we don't longer weigh you every single appointment, we pay special attention to mums who've got a raised BMI, mums who are diabetic or mums who are at risk of, you know, other uh, potential pathologies, let's say. And not to forget that the uterus is really expanding. So during the second trimester, the uterus will grow to the size of a papaya and no longer fits inside the pelvis. It actually sits midway between the navel and the breasts. So it's no surprise that stretch marks, heartburn and lower back pain are all common symptoms. And pregnant women will be at an increased risk of developing carpal tunnel syndrome, sciatica and calf cramp. And that's not all. I think that one of the most notorious changes in the female body during pregnancy are the uh, female reproductive changes. So uh, to mention some of them, for example, gynecological changes, which are often due to an increase in estrogen, um, progesterone, and also the growing fetus. So this will include things such as breast enlargement, aureolar pigmentation, which is the brownie tissue area on the breast around the nipple. Uh, So it's not uncommon for the color of it to change. There will be a uterine hypertrophy or a growing um, of the uterus as well, and the stretching of it as well, up to 10 times the normal size. This is something that often gets underestimated. It's really important to remember that you can grow quite a lot. And changes in bowel habits are very common too. There is a reduced bowel motion, which can sometimes result in constipation. The hormones in our body will be driving all of those physiological changes, which is great because they're only just helping us to adapt to pregnancy itself. And they're also preparing us for when baby's born uh, so that all of our body systems are fully functioning. 
changes in bowel movements can be an early symptom of pregnancy. And last time I met Antonio, he told me that some symptoms, like morning sickness, can develop from as early as six or seven weeks. But there are women who feel these symptoms later on, and some who don't feel them at all. So it depends on who you are as an individual. Then there are more hidden side effects of pregnancy. Baby brain, or pregnancy-induced brain fog. This can be classed as forgetfulness, poor decision-making, or a lack of concentration. Antonio, baby brain is quite a controversial topic, isn't it? Is baby brain real? You're absolutely right. It's a very controversial topic, but yet we hear it every single day, don't we? Healthcare professionals joke about it. Mums often talk about it. Uh, I think that when it comes to the subject of baby brain, what we are referring to is the fact that pregnancy may or may not be affecting a mother's cognitive function. And can it? Does a pregnant woman think as clearly when pregnant? So um, I have previously done some research about this particular subject in the past and the research available is not conclusive at all. There are a very few studies and when you look at the quality of the studies, they are not of a very good quality scientifically speaking. So they're not randomized control trials. They include very little numbers. There is no consistency in perhaps the findings from one study and another. So we cannot generalize what the findings are. It's just non-conclusive at all. Up until now, I am afraid that is all just perhaps a product of a society and um, stereotypes potentially. It's kind of incredible to me that there's no real convincing scientific evidence that pregnancy causes an overall decline in cognitive performance or, or memory. I definitely feel like I'm more forgetful. My husband and friends are teasing me for baby brain. There has to be something in this. It has to be real. I think, you know, it's okay to joke about it, but what we cannot forget is the stress that pregnancy puts on you so is it baby brain and actually we don't know maybe in 15 20 years and we'll be sitting here talking about the evidence behind you know baby brain uh, or is it perhaps the fact that pregnancy is associated with mums feeling overly tired and them not being able to sleep properly and therefore the consequences of that in any human being let alone a pregnant woman going through everything that they go through will be the fact that perhaps you know, our concentration is not 100%. I hadn't thought about it like that. As a society, we laugh off such lapses as baby brain. But look what our pregnant bodies go through. It's no wonder we're forgetful or can't concentrate. All those physiological changes, changes to our breathing, cardiac output, our bowels, and on top of that, hormonal changes. Pregnant women go through a lot. I think that over the years we have actually underestimated the emotional impact that pregnancy can have on you and we talk about it, but we certainly need to focus on this as an area of potential further research. I am very pleased to, you know, that we've got to a point when we're actually talking about mental health exactly in the same way that we talk about physical health is really, really, really important. Being pregnant and being perhaps a bit more sensitive will be bringing memories back from things that may have happened in the past that may be contributing to our well-being and they may be contributing 
to our well-being positively or negatively. And it's really important to know that, you know, it's normal to be having these feelings and to also have a go-to person as well. So your midwife is best placed to discuss your emotional well-being with you as well and to support you and guide you to normalize what may be going through your brain at that moment in time and also to identify when things may be deviating from normal. In instances where we may be identifying that there are things for which we need further support, we refer on and we closely work with, you know, perinatal mental health teams. We closely work with counsellors. All that, you know, they will do will be to listen to you quite actively and to help you develop coping mechanisms and ways by which you can help yourself and to follow you throughout pregnancy and the uh, postnatal period as well. Really, really, really important, especially living in the society where we currently living pregnant moms are also working and they're working many many hours working on a shift patent uh, it can be quite difficult at times it's really important that you have freedom and that you are empowered i'm feeling a little bit down today um i feel like i'm not quite ready for maternity clothes um at 14 weeks pregnant but I feel really frumpy. My face definitely looks a, lot, a little more <laughs> swollen than it was. I'm meeting one of my best pals for a nice dinner tonight and I'd usually get dressed up, but I have no idea what I'm going to wear. Um, something that won't make me look frumpy. Frugi Bloom is a new range of ethical maternity wear made from 100% GOTS certified organic cotton. For those who want to be mindful of the environmental impact of their clothes, Frugi Bloom's super soft contemporary styles are made with clever design details that adjust to your changing shape. This allows you to wear your favourite maternity styles during pregnancy, breastfeeding and beyond. Frugi is loved not only for playful, bright colours for babies and children, but also because they are taking active steps to help our planet, using organic and innovative recycled material in each collection. On a mission to help raise the next generation of eco-warriors, Frugi invites new mums to feel fabulous with an exclusive 10% off Frugi Bloom using code LIFEBEFOREBIRTH10 at welovefrugi.com. T and C's apply. Support for this episode comes from Joy Baby. Joy make parent-favourite, worry-free baby gear designed to make family life easier and stand the test of time. Joy knows your number one priority is keeping your little ones safe. And so is theirs. From the smartest manufacturing to the highest quality materials to the toughest testing around, Joy checks all the boxes to keep your kiddos snug and safe, whether on the go or cozied up at home. Check out Joy's award-winning push chairs, car seats, high chairs, and so much more at joybaby.com. Antonio Sierra spoke a lot about the importance of looking after your mental health in pregnancy. And at the booking in appointment with my midwife, Serena, she asked me about my mental health, whether I've ever had a mental illness, whether I had mental health problems after giving birth to my daughters and how I'm currently feeling. This is something the midwives ask everyone and they'll ask you questions about your mental health throughout your pregnancy. But it's really hard to gauge. During pregnancy, you may be feeling up and down, teary, emotional. I know I am. And that in itself, feeling teary, is complex, 
because I feel especially after being desperate to get pregnant, I should just be happy, which is making me feel more teary and more emotional because I feel guilty about not being so happy all the time. It's a vicious cycle. So how do you know if it's your hormones running amok or if you're potentially developing a mental health problem? And how common is it to develop a mental health problem in pregnancy? I'm meeting Dr. Raja Gangopadhyay, a consultant obstetrician and gynaecologist in Watford General Hospital and Hemel Hempstead Hospital, who has a special interest in perinatal mental health. When we talk about perinatal mental health, we, by default, we usually refer to mainly sort of uh, post-childbirth mental health problems, specifically baby blues, which can be completely normal physiological changes after childbirth, uh, but specifically postnatal depression and postpartum psychosis. But what it gets missed often is that mental health problems during pregnancy, which is equally prevalent and which is also very important to be addressed during pregnancy. Because if you do so, you can prevent a lot of problems from happening in post-childbirth period. So is it fair to say then that postnatal depression is becoming a bit more widely known, but depression during pregnancy is still a topic left in the dark. You're absolutely right in saying that. Mental health problems are actually very common during pregnancy. It is now considered about one in five women suffer from stress and mental health problems during pregnancy due to stigma and shame in the society. Many mothers don't actually disclose their symptoms while they are pregnant. So I have a feeling, and that is what I come across in my professional life, is that I see, uh, in fact, the incidence may be even higher. And it is now well recognized that anxiety and depressions are the most common medical condition in pregnancy. One in five suffer from mental health problems during pregnancy. One in five. This seems a lot. And yet Dr. Raja suspects it could actually be higher than this. Mental health problems can happen for the first time during pregnancy, even if they did not have any mental health problems in the past. But what uh, makes the perinatal mental health of special significance is that it can go downhill very rapidly. Specifically, there are some conditions like uh, severe depression or postpartum psychosis. Uh, they can relapse during pregnancy or uh, specifically after childbirth, where the women are really, really vulnerable. And that can go downhill very rapidly. It can go downhill so rapidly, in fact, that suicide is an important cause of death among pregnant and postpartum women. Suicide due to mental health problems is one of the leading causes of death during pregnancy and is the leading cause of death after childbirth. Pregnancy can be really difficult, really consuming. There's just so much going on that can affect your well-being. We heard about all the changes that happen to your body from Antonio. But throw in conditions like pelvic girdle pain, known as PGP, which affects one in five pregnant women, and other pregnant ailments, and it can really drag you down. Some degree of stress and worry is normal as your body undergoes huge hormonal changes during pregnancy. But that makes it even harder to know if you're suffering with mental ill health. This is something that's really baffling me. How do you know if feelings of worry or anxiety are part of your pregnancy or if you're dealing with a mental health issue? Sometimes it is uh, difficult to know. It is not uncommon to have some worries uh, or uh, some feeling low uh, during pregnancy or any journey to the parenthood. But if you're not sure, it is always advisable that uh, if specifically I would, uh, I would say that, you know, have a low threshold 
to speak to your midwife or an obstetrician or a GP regarding this because there are many ways there are a lot of assessment tools that are available and then we we can find out that actually how significant it is then we will be able to find out and advise you accordingly uh, so it is very important that uh, you discuss if you specifically if you if if you feel that it is affecting your day to day life you should seek help without delay and there are signs to be aware of they're called red flag symptoms Specifically I would like to mention what we call as red flag symptoms any suicidal ideations or thoughts or harming uh, any thoughts of harming others for example uh, rare but it can happen is thoughts of harming the baby we should not be ignoring at all and this is like a kind of medical emergency there are some other symptoms you should be looking out for such as hallucination hearing some voices when nobody is talking to you or some unusual beliefs we call it delusion So if you are having any of those symptoms uh, that might be an indication that you might be having very serious mental health problems we have to remember that mental health problems can go downhill very very rapidly during pregnancy or after childbirth period and this is what makes perinatal mental health illness different from any other stage of life so it can uh, worsen very very rapidly in fact within hours terrifyingly mental health problems during pregnancy may have an impact on the baby as well and this could be long lasting there are actually a lot of myths about the mental health problems during pregnancy people often feel that mental health problems just that that affect the mom but we often do not realize that stress and mental health problems can lead to different medical complications during pregnancy for example it can lead to preeclampsia it can lead to low birth weight uh, babies it can lead to premature birth for example it can also lead to lot of mental health problems for the child uh, in the forthcoming years for example they may have behavioral difficulties or adhd there might be uh, early onset mental health problems including schizophrenia there might be some other development neurodevelopmental problems such as not doing very well in the school so stress and mental health problem can have a, it's a very wide and significant impact it can have an impact on their relationship for example it can also have an impact on the dad for example we know that 10 to 14% of the dads can have postnatal depression or post traumatic stress disorder as a result of pregnancy or post childbirth or pregnancy complications so we have to have a quite a wider perspective to this so it is not only this how she is suffering but it can have a much wider impact than than we we think but ill mental health in pregnancy is treatable treatment for mental health problems in pregnancy may include psychological treatments including talking therapy and medicine it's important to speak out and get treated early by a specialist team so we must believe in ourselves that uh, it is a completely treatable condition and excellent outcome is possible Dr. Raja really opened my eyes to look after my mental health in pregnancy. It's something we shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed about. Doctors, midwives, full-time mummies, any of us can struggle with our mental health. It isn't a sign of weakness. It's real and it's complex. I'll definitely be more open to sharing how I'm feeling emotionally with John and trusted friends. I'm 15 weeks pregnant this week and um today 
has been a really big day um, because my kids went to sleep a couple of hours ago and I had a bath and I felt flutters just below my belly button for the first time. It really took me by surprise. Um, I, I just sat in the bath and, and cried. <laughs> um, this is quite early as well. I had a look at um, a leaflet online from the Royal College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists and they say you can usually feel, begin to feel movements um, at 18 to 20 weeks pregnant. Although they say for your first pregnancy, you know, you may not become aware of movements until you're about 20 weeks. And if, if you've had um, other pregnancies, if you've been pregnant before, you might, might feel them. You might feel movement as early as 16 weeks. This leaflet is actually really helpful as it gives advice for later on in the pregnancy as well if your baby's movement has been reduced or changed. Um, but yeah, so 15 weeks pregnant this week. Yeah, I'm a little early in this area. But I have never cried as much in all my life. I mean, they're happy tears, but um, wow, this pregnancy so far for me has been so highly emotional. <laughs> And I just thought baby to be happy in there and feeling the flutters was just the most wonderful thing. Um, I told John and he really wanted to feel, but unfortunately it's going to be a while until um, he can actually feel the baby moving around. My morning sickness has finally come to an end. I'm still off chicken, tea and coffee, but I'm generally eating a lot better now. I'm 16 weeks pregnant and I'm going to my 16 week antenatal appointment soon. I'm feeling the odd flutters, which is incredible, and I've definitely noticed the changes in my breasts now. Which makes sense, as women can start to produce cholesterol, which is the first form of milk you produce, from about 16 weeks of pregnancy. I really enjoyed breastfeeding with my two girls, so I'm hoping to do this again. I've already got the Tommy Tippy made for me double electric pump this time. I had so much milk with the girls and was leaking breast milk in pregnancy, so I'm hoping a double pump will be quicker and less wasteful. Even though it's a double pump, it's a lot smaller than my old pump and it's supposed to be super quiet too. Hello. How are you doing? So yeah. sorry for the delay. That's all right. You sit in there, in the patient <laughs> chair. Yeah. In the patient chair. Hot seat here. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, not too it's been bad. been a long time, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been and the midwife will ask how I'm doing and how I'm feeling. So I've been feeling pretty good. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, no, I'm feeling all quite You're happy about still, it. I'm you? very active. I'm mm -hmm. doing a lot of stuff at the gym. Mm -hmm. That's um, good. So I'm just trying to keep active, fit, yeah. yeah. And I just think as well, like I know that with my second pregnancy, I really suffered mm -hmm. with SPD really badly and I was mm -hmm. on crutches and I just really want to avoid that. So I'm hoping if I keep fit and healthy, I'll just stay like that <laughs> right through. Mm -hmm. So you're 16 weeks and three days. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be asked to produce a urine sample, which will be checked. What's been checked with the sample this time? So I'm just checking for ketones, um, glucose, protein. Um, those are things we look out for, but it's all normal. And this is where we'll go through the results from the screening tests, which John and I know we're in the low risk category for. And the midwife will take my blood pressure. This antenatal appointment is particularly exciting as we may get to hear the baby's heartbeat for the very first time. When you're feeling it, were you feeling for baby's position then? Yeah. Did you feel it? Or, like, not quite. 
Not quite. So if the gel is uh, it's cold. cold, sorry. <laughs> Just wow. Hearing the baby's heartbeat for the first time is just such an incredible milestone. Life Before Birth is sponsored by Mum and You. When you're about to become parents, it can be overwhelming to decide what products are best for you. Everything at Mum and You is made by mums for mums. When you have a mum design the product, you know it's going to tick a lot of boxes like their naturally derived vegan skincare range for mums that tackles the unique issues your body goes through when pregnant and beyond. With all the hormones racing around, your face can suddenly become dry, dull or even spotty. A far cry from the glow you were promised. But don't worry, Mum and You's Just a Minute Face Mask will be your new best friend. Pop the clay on and it literally takes 60 seconds to get to work, helping to remove impurities, reduce blemishes and improve glow. And the best bit? When baby is here and you're super busy, you only need a minute for a bit of pamper time and to help you feel like you again. From their super soft eco-nappies to biodegradable wipes, the Mum and You range is both eco-conscious to protect your baby's planet and lovingly made by mums to make your life easier which is why parents rate Mum and You as excellent on Trustpilot. For 20% off across their site, visit mumandyou.com and use promo code TRY20 at checkout. Life Before Birth is sponsored by Tommy Tippy. Have you heard about The Boob Life? Tommy Tippy's new film, The Boob Life, aims to get the nation talking breastfeeding, celebrating the highs as well as acknowledging the lows on Mum's sense of self, confidence and body image, all to empower freedom of choice and break down taboos. Tommy Tippy believes all mums should feel great about their selves, bodies and boobs, whether they breastfeed, combi feed, solely pump or don't feed with them at all. Watch The Boob Life featuring real mums at tommytippy.com forward slash en gb forward slash the boob life. You can also follow these mums' personal stories via a six-part digital content series called Spill the Milk, which demystifies breastfeeding and covers everything you've ever wanted to know on topics like latching, pumping and feeling judged. Head to Tommy Tippy's Instagram at TommyTippyUK to listen. It has been a really exciting and wonderful couple of weeks, feeling baby move around and hearing the baby's heartbeat feels really real now but at the same time I'm feeling a little awkward in my own skin so with that in mind I think it's also really important that we discuss sex in pregnancy 
pregnancy is a roller coaster of change, not just for the pregnant woman, but also for the couple. For me, while the baby's growing and getting bigger and I'm incredibly excited to grow our family, I'm also beginning to lose myself in this, in pregnancy. I'm just feeling really unsexy and uncomfortable with my changing body. I don't feel like me. I'm determined to find out more about how pregnancy impacts sex, confidence and well-being. I got in touch with Sarah Hunter, a relationship therapist based in Winnipeg, Canada, who has written about this. And she then put me in touch with Sophia Chawid Wessel, a sex researcher based in Nebraska in the US. Sophia also has a TEDx talk on sexuality and pregnancy. And it turns out that she is also pregnant with her third baby. So Sophia says there is so much more to learn about the current attitudes towards sex during pregnancy. And she is the first person ever to look at this. The first project that Sophia did was to develop a way to measure people's attitudes towards sex and pregnancy because there wasn't a reliable scale to use. The first project I did was actually to create a scale that measures attitudes. It's been published in journals already years ago, but it's also going to be going into the handbook of sexuality measures. And so it'll be much more widely available. But so in developing that scale, though, I had to do a lot of work ahead of creating the scale to understand what people think about sex during pregnancy. And that's where some of my open ended and my interviews came up, my open ended items where I would ask really, really, really simple questions like, what are the first three words that come to mind when you think of, when you picture a pregnant woman? I was shocked at some of the responses, but when I started really thinking about it, it shouldn't have been shocking to me at all, right? But how people view the attitudes they have just about a pregnant woman is sometimes disturbing. It is for me anyway. And then when you add the sexuality component, it gets even worse. Right? So, but it changes based on who you're asking these questions of. So is this somebody who's experienced a pregnancy before? They're going to have different attitudes than somebody who has never experienced a pregnancy. How old they are, they're going to have different attitudes. And Sophia, one of the things that really bothered you when doing this research is how pregnant women were described as cute. I couldn't quite put my finger on why it rubbed me the wrong way. I couldn't quite articulate what bothered me about it until I did this study. When I did my TEDx talk, right, I got a lot of like tweets and responses and messages, a lot of, most of them from men being like, cute is not a bad thing. Stop like, you know, making cute the enemy. There's like, this is a compliment. It's a positive trait. And one, I thought it was funny that people were so defensive about cute, you know, like, oh, you're really, you really care about this. But um, it also made me laugh at how much I hated it. You know, like, why do I hate this? And it's not that cute alone is the enemy, right? Cute is a good thing. You know, that people do mean that as a compliment. But cute alone is kind of the problem, right? So when that's the first and foremost thing that you think of when you see a grown adult, that is a problem, right? Especially when you think about all the other things that we think associate with cute when that's the first and foremost thing. So like puppies, kittens, little baby animals. We don't usually think of anything else other than initially cute, right? It's it's reserved for things that evoke this paternalistic attitude. It's it's a gateway to treating grown adults like grandparents, like pregnant women, as if they are children. I'm finding it hard to see myself as sexy, and I'm definitely not confident at the moment. 
Maybe this is because when you become pregnant, you become so focused on preparing for the new baby that it's really hard to navigate yourself through some of these changes. It's easy to stop doing the things you're interested in, to stop living your life essentially. You as a person has not changed. Your body is not a different body. It is still your body. Yes, it's changing and developing in this new way, right? But it's still you, you know? And everyday people reinforce this idea though. When you run into people on the street, they see that pregnant belly first. They see baby first. They don't see you as a person, you know? Like they see future mother, they see child, and they see cute, you know? And I think that we need to remind people to look at each other in the eye and see a person when we're talking to one another, not to objectify somebody. There's many different ways of objectifying people, and it's not always sexual objectification. You know, maternal objectification also exists. Sophia defines this as maternal objectification. Her role right now is to grow this baby and then to mother this baby. And that's what we're seeing first and foremost. You know, it's all about this baby and not about this person. You know, she is a whole being and she can be mother and woman. You know, she does not need to be first and foremost anything. You know, she is she is both simultaneously. And we need to allow that complexity in people. You know, we, we allow it in every other kind of person, but not for a pregnant woman like why? Why do we see her bump and not her? Sophia, how does pregnancy impact on sex? Okay, so this was a study that I did a couple years back where I reviewed the methodologies and the findings across 36 different studies. Um, and these were studies that were from all over the world. Um, we actually see quite a bit of studies from the US, the UK, some in Canada, and then several that are from Taiwan, Iran, uh, Pakistan. We don't have enough studies in any one kind of region, but um, there's enough for us to be able to see that there is some kind of cultural pattern in terms of how pregnancy impacts sexual behaviors. So across all of these studies, we do see a steady decline in frequency of vaginal intercourse specifically. And most the most significant decreases occur from pre-pregnancy to the first trimester. And then we see another big dip that happens in the third trimester. But there's little to no change in all other sexual behaviors, you know, so oral sex, masturbation, sex toy use, you know, we're not seeing any of those change. But um, most other studies don't really focus on these non-coital behaviors, so we do need more information on this. Okay, so sexual frequency drops between preconception and the first trimester, remains steady, and then more dramatically decreases again between the second and third trimester. But why? Why is it not uncommon to not want sex when you're pregnant? And I think there's a lot to unpack there. So I think one piece is just that body image piece, right? Um, for some pregnant women, becoming pregnant and then when they f finally are showing enough, they feel kind of this relief because they no longer feel constrained by societal ideals about having a thin waist. So they kind of feel like they're forgiven from, from those pressures. But on the other hand, when you're talking about sexuality and being sexual with a partner, um, you have these, what's been replaced by that pressure is a different kind of pressure, right? It's, well, my pregnant body is all baby, it's all bump. And because of that desexualization that we do for to pregnant women, that cute impact, right? They have a hard time viewing themselves as a sexual being. And, you know, we 
we internalize messages from people and from the media very easily. And especially when that's the predominant image of pregnant women is is not is completely void of sexuality. You know, she's the pure mother. She's a different being than she was beforehand. Um, that desexualization has an impact on your sex life and can impact your confidence. You might feel aroused and and like uh, and want to engage in sexual activity, but feel like you don't want to initiate anything because how could your partner find you sexy when you have this bump and how when everything in the media um, is about cute pregnant women who aren't sexy, right? You know, like that those messages have an impact on us and we really have to push back on that. All in all, Sophia thinks as pregnant women, we put too much pressure on ourselves, that it's okay to not want sex. Pregnancy can be so tough, magical, but tough. We aren't as bad at communicating with our partners as a lot of therapists make us seem to be too, you know, like I think that if a woman is uncomfortable, you know, during her third trimester, she'll tell her partner that and he'll be like, yeah, cool. I, I, I can see why that's an issue. You know, let's do something else to feel intimate. Let me give you a massage, you know, and it's more about that partner communication and that partner intimacy than it is about sticking a penis into a vagina. Sex is so much more. It's so much more than that. Any final pieces of advice, Sophia? For individual women out there, for women like you, I, I do recommend, you know, you doing all the things that make you feel like who you are, who you always have been, you know? You don't have to wear cutesy maternity clothes, you know? You can wear whatever you want that feels good to you, that feels like yourself. And to remind yourself that just because the outside world might be desexualizing you, your partner isn't. Okay. Do things that make me feel like me. I can do that. Today, John and I are going to our first consultant appointment. We're under a shared care plan with the midwife. We're going to Hemel Hempstead Hospital. Oh, it's TV. I thought it was like some sort of baby radio channel then. It's a TV. I thought it was some sort of baby radio channel. One of the midwives does my blood pressure and asks for another urine sample. It turns out I'm not seeing my consultant today, Mr. Sanusi, but I'm seeing one of the registrars. She comes into the waiting room and calls my name. The registrar had to then go and get my notes. I made a joke that they'd be the huge ones as my previous times in labour weren't straightforward. You weren't kidding. <laughs> wow. I know. Yeah. It was a very long labour. I tried both times as well. Did to you? Have, um, a, yeah, I tried both times and both times ended up in an emergency C-section. So. Let me just have... Okay, too late. I'm sure this was baby number... 2015 was number one or two? Uh, number 2015, two. Um, number, number two, two yeah. yeah. I had to go through my labours again. You were in a cat one C-section for the first time. <laughs> yeah. It was all dramatic. Oh, it was very dramatic. Just check your previous, second time there was no adhesion. It was quite an um, straightforward section, which is good. And what's the adhesion? 
adhesion to like you know first time when you have a c-section it's quite straightforward there are no scar tissues okay. adhesions is basically scar right. tissues so second time your like bladder can be stuck to the you know scarring oh, and everything gosh. else so it was quite straightforward which is good news that's really yeah. good so no complications from the c-sections no scar tissue no adhesions that is good news and then something remarkable happens. I thought I didn't have any birth options, but... I mean, there is evidence that you can still try uh, with two C-sections, but it's not advised. I was about to ask so, that. Yeah. I was about to ask about the... the... There is not much data. Not many people do it again, but there is not much data available. But if you wanted it, it's like and it is about women's central care. So if you wanted it, I mean, if you wanted to spontaneous labor, we don't induce you. We don't put up hormone drip, um, but you can try. So if you went in, so if I had a, a C-section book, but then went in naturally before that, yeah, then you could try and see. Yeah, it. we have to monitor baby very closely. Yeah. The scar could open up. There's a slightly increased risk. Not many people opt for it, um, but yes. I didn't know it was an option. I well, thought I that was it. it. I thought it was actually, like you had two and that's it, you're guideline. done. Yeah, it is. Really? It is, yeah. Wow. Um, but it has been done, like it has. People yes. do do it. Yeah, but the ch- like, you know, um, chances of your success is very low yeah. because you hadn't laboured more than three centimetres. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, so you've never touched active labour. Right. If you've like you know laboured till ten centimeter and then found a section, yeah, I looked at your neck. That's far yeah. as I know the way. I've got it yeah. on. Yeah. I, d- I thought it was further so on. Do you know what caught, like what's going on it's there? Just a, it's just the way the proportion of baby. Maybe it was malpositioned the first one, and first one was quite big for you. Yeah. So um, <laughs> like her pelvis and baby's head size. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that, and the second time around, I mean, obviously we had a previous section. We couldn't have pushed like you know. She could have achieved a vaginal delivery, but because you had a scarred uterus, we couldn't have pushed. The first one, we waited till 41, 42 weeks. So, yeah. you know, she would have been induced anyway. Yeah. And yeah. there was something like, you know, not triggering the natural No, labor. but um, I guess my question is that if a, nat- if a natural labor triggered this yeah. time, it'd be the first time that's happened So for, for us. So is there a chance that if it comes naturally that we wouldn't have the... The issues with the dilation that we'll get beyond the three centimeters. Can't guarantee. Yeah. Yeah, I'll make a lot of money finding <laughs> You can have another section this time. We'll book it at 39 weeks. If you were to go into spontaneous labor before 39 weeks, um, it's up to you, but you have to really like read through. If you definitely want to give it a go, I have to send you to a birth option clinic just to have a chat. Okay. Okay. But if is it feasible, is that something you both wanted to try? We definitely want to find out more about our options. We've booked onto a birth options clinic. I've also arranged for a glucose tolerance test. It was decided that I should do this because of the big babies that I've had, and that's sometimes an indication of gestational diabetes. And then it's just waiting for these appointments. Okay, we're sat in the car, post consultant appointment, and you're crying again. No, I need, I don't need to get this off my chest. I thought that going into that, I was going to be told, you've had two C-sections, you know, there's, there's going to be too much damage, you got, you know, this is going to be it, this is it, no, you know, you can't have any more. And to go in and be told that firstly that I haven't had any complications with the C-sections, there's no scarring or... No adhesion. No adhesion, um, no big problems. 
um, straightforward C-sections, despite the fact that they were emergency, and that um, another C-section is fine, and possibly I could have more C-sections than that, another C-section after a third one, which I thought I really went in there thinking this is it. And to be told now that... Now you want another baby afterwards, <laughs> don't you? But to be told there's options... When's it ever going to end? <laughs> but to be told there's options... So 21 is the number to beat, she said. <laughs> But to be told there's options and to also be told that even though I've had two C-sections, I could potentially still have a natural labour as well, which I thought was absolutely out of the question. Yeah, and it's food for thought, isn't it? Well, it's just that there's options there. There's, it's not the end of... It's not a closed book of this is what's happening and this is it now. Yeah. The one thing about all of this journey is there's, there's not a designated path. Like, every time we come to something, every time we have another appointment, there's, like... There's forks in the road again that you have to choose between. Some of them are going to be chosen for you. Some of them are for you to choose. So when we were having the last, the, the having Martha, um, we wanted to avoid a C-section then because the rule of thumb is if you have two, two C-sections, um, you uh, well, if you have three C-sections, that's your max. Yeah. You know? And we learned today that that, that that might be a nice guideline, like a... Uh, an indicator but the reality is that every case is so unique and if you've had you can have multiple clean c-sections you can go and have four five six of them without any problems um i just love the fact that my options are like that's it's just yeah that i've got options <laughs> it's really great it's been a really it was a really good appointment to, to hear that Well, it's not, yeah, it's emotional tears. It's, I'm happy. These are happy tears. <laughs> These are happy yeah. ones. Life Before Birth is a production of Ruby Media, written and produced by me, Rian Owen. Sound editing and production assistance by Ross McPherson. Original music for the series is composed by Nick Atkins. Series supervision by John Young. Our executive producer is Rory Harris. Thanks to Tommy Tippy, Antonio Sierra, Raja Gangotapade, Sarah Hunter, Sophia Jawed Wessel, Kate Ewer at West Hearts Hospital NHS Trust, and all of the medical and support staff at West Hertfordshire's Hospital NHS Trust that have helped us in the making of this series. And a special thanks to my children, Matilda and Martha. You can find us on all podcast apps and on our website at life.reby.media. Please do leave us a review. It really helps others hear this story. Thank you for listening.